cradled the beast in my arms until its last whimpering breath escaped its pale lips. A piteous end for such a hopeful creature. I saw hope in its eyes even then. Even after Loric pulled his green blade from its soft underside, even as it bled upon the rocks it called home, a hope flickered in those eyes. It was a silver child of a broken world pushing through the rust, reaching for the love it never felt. We've made a mistake. We've made a horrible mistake. I'm done waiting. Let's go. Bale shouted up the stairs. He pulled the strap of his pack further up his shoulder and sighed. The old wooden shelter ached as a cold early fall breeze pushed against it. One more day would mark their first year living in the ruin. A year of hardship, certainly, but not one of darkness. It was a beginning. A beginning of what, neither could say, but a beginning nonetheless. His brother Loric clomped down the stairs, yawning as he went. Where are we going today, other than the usual spots, he said. Do you want to do a bit of exploring? Bale said. There's a cave off to the west, just beyond the Ardstone field. It's overgrown with weeds and rubble, but I think we can squeeze in. Sure, let's do that first, Lorik said, always looking for a reason to postpone harvesting until the last minute. The air outside was thick and bitter as it was the day before and the week before that. The two pulled kerchiefs over their mouths and stepped down off the porch, careful to avoid the cracks and holes in the floorboards. I had that dream again, Lorik said as they crossed the field covered in massive orange boulders, or fallen suns, as Bale called them. The one about the train? Bale asked, having to raise his voice a bit over the eerie growl of wind whipping around the stones. That's the one. I'm riding it like a horse straddling the roof. The reeds alongside it whip my feet bloody, and the sand in the air breaks my skin. Just as the pain becomes too much, it all clears, and I'm over an ocean. In the blue water, I see an octopus the size of a mountain. Its tentacles reach up from the water and wrap themselves around the clouds. Still barreling along on the train, I see the octopus pull itself from the water and high into the air. It hangs there for a moment, looking at me, and I at it. Then the train shudders and stops. The octopus wraps a tentacle around my waist and pulls me towards it. I'm powerless to stop it, and eventually I am pulled into oblivion by the creature as the train whistle blares out in the distance in useless protest. Bale had no thoughts on the dream, other than that it was odd for it to be reoccurring. They continued on through the field until they reached the bramble wall. It towered above their heads and ran the length of the field in both directions. Over the past year, Bale had worked to carve a path through it, but Lorik stayed away. He was afraid of what they would find on the other side. He claims to hear devilish howls through the bramble and said that he glimpsed the forked tails of demons over top of it from his bedroom window. Bale dismissed it all and had broken through two weeks prior. They squirreled their way through the path he had made and entered into the plains beyond. The grass reached their waist and the ground was damp in places and waterlogged in others. Where is this cave? Lorik asked. Not too far. Beyond that ridge and then around the culling pits, Bale answered. You went beyond the culling pits, Lorik responded. You are way too reckless with your exploring. Oh, hush, Bale said. Your devils are nowhere to be found. That's what you think, Lorik said, pulling his kerchief tighter over his mouth. 
If only one of them spots you, we'll be swarmed before the sun has a chance to fully rise. Bale waved a hand at his brother and continued on through the grass. There was little life in the field save a handful of Miros. Their furry double heads would pop up from the grass and examine the two strangers. Then they would dip down beneath the grass once more, and their tails, split into four multicolored strands, would bob across the field away from the brothers. One of them tried to build a nest in the ironstone field shortly after Bale opened the path, but Lorik chased it off. Who knows what kind of insects are living in their fur, he had said. They climbed the ridge at the other side of the field and saw the culling pits, dozens of perfectly round holes in the surface, surrounded by charred metal and tufts of cotton. Lorik never set foot near them, but Bale had dropped a stone down each one and listened for a noise. One clattered on something after a few seconds, but the rest simply fell without a sound. "'It's right over there,' Bale said, pointing to an overgrown tangle against the side of the hill that encircled the pits. "'All right, we'll sidle along the hillside,' Lorik said, pointing along the hills all the way around the pits. "'What? Don't be ridiculous. We can cut right through and be there in half the time,' Bale said. "'Don't worry, I won't push you in.' Without waiting for a response, he charged down the hill and began weaving between the pits." "'Bale, you're going to get us killed!' Lorik shouted, running after him. Bale laughed and let his kerchief fall around his neck, only pulling it back up when they reached the overgrowth in front of the cave entrance. He pecked at the vines here and there like a bird looking for a worm in the dirt. Finally, on the far left side, he stopped and began pulling them apart. "'Here it is,' he said. "'Come here, you hold this open, and I'll try to squeeze in and hold it open for you from the other side.' Lorik reluctantly stepped over to the entrance and held the foliage apart for his brother— Bale got down on his hands and knees and crawled through the small opening in the rock, then turned around and did his best to hold the passage open for Lorik to crawl through. A few scratches later, they were both inside the cave in near-complete darkness. "'Now what?' Lorik said. Bale reached into his pack and pulled out two iron bars, each topped with a round, clear ball. He clanged them together, and immediately a bright light emanated from both clear balls. He handed one to Lorik and held the other aloft, illuminating the cave. "'Now we explore,' he said." It didn't take long for them to find it. After they plodded along for a minute or two, Lorik grabbed Bale's shoulder and froze. Look, up there behind the rock on the left, he said, shaking. Do you see it? Bale squinted forward and could just barely make out two booted feet sticking out from behind a boulder on the left side of the cave. The feet pulled back behind the rock and out of sight. I saw it. Bale said. For a moment he faltered and froze like Lorik. Then he took a step forward and felt his brother's hand tighten on his shoulder. What are you doing? We have to get out of here, Lorik whispered. It could be one of them. I see no tail sticking out above the rock. Those were not cloven hooves. It isn't. Whatever it is might be hurt, Bale responded. He shook off his brother's hand and moved forward. Lorik stayed still and began to finger the hilt of his blade. Bale cautiously stepped around the rock, careful to hold his hands out passively in front of him. The light from the iron bar washed over a creature huddled in the gravel who winced and covered its eyes. Bale had never seen a creature quite like it, but it wasn't too dissimilar from himself or Lorik. Where they had forearms, it had only two. Where they had long, sharpened ears, the creatures were small and rounded. It looked to be half of their size, perhaps only five or six feet tall. Instead of the slitted leather skin on Bale and Lorik's head, the creature had a mess of thin hair, oddly parted at the side like it was blown over by a gust of wind. 
It slowly lowered its arms, revealing beautiful eyes of milky white, and in the center, a gleaming blue sphere. Bale and Lorik's eyes were solid beige and not half as charming. The beast said something with a delicate voice like rain on glass, but Bale couldn't understand it. It spoke again and pointed at its leg. A large gash was visible, surrounded by dried red blood. Sticking out of the wound was a piece of bent metal. Bale leaned down and examined the wound, unsure of how to help the creature, but feeling compelled to. He felt Lorik step up behind him, but paid him no mind, focused on the wound. The creature looked over Bale's shoulder nervously, but continued to point at its leg and repeated the phrase it had said twice before. Bale carefully placed two hands on the creature's leg and placed the other two on the piece of shrapnel. He paused and looked the beast in the eyes. They were full of fear and flickering weakly, but also confident and trusting. He pulled on the metal, and the creature howled out in pain and doubled forward. As it did, Bale was pushed aside by Lorik, who plunged his blade into the stomach of the creature. No, Bale responded. He pushed his brother back and knelt down next to the groaning beast. He was trying to suck the life from you, Lorik cried out. You fool, Bale said. Can't you see he wasn't a threat? It was struggling to survive, like us. Bale carefully lifted the creature onto his lap, cleaning a bit of dirt from its face. "'Don't get so close to it. It might still get you,' Lorik said, his voice wavering in its assuredness. "'Just go home, Lorik. You've done enough.' Lorik opened his mouth to reply, but remained silent. He sheathed his blade and moved back towards the entrance of the cave. The creature stared up at Bale desperately as its chest rattled with its final breaths. It feebly clutched at Bale's shirt until he took the beast's hand in his own. Bale stayed there with it, holding its hand through its final, painful, labored moments. Even after its grip loosened and its eyes fogged over, Bale remained, wishing the beast would shake back to life. Wishing that he had stopped Lorik, or never brought him in the first place. Wishing that his brother wasn't victim to such paralyzing fear. He blamed himself in the end, but only so that he might return home and continue life with Lorik. To shoulder the lion's share of blame was to free his brother of it, and in turn live without a seed of resentment that would one day grow into a massive oak. And so it was their mistake together, never to be spoken of again. <laughs> 